Hello and welcome to a new episode of When All Is Read and Done. I'm Josh. And I'm Amy. And this is a podcast where we make sense of the world one book at a time. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. Episode 7, Josh. Yeah. Like exciting times. You know, when we first set out to do this, I thought it would be a good distraction from our respective lockdowns and the lack of like offline social activities. Um, mm-hmm. But things are starting to look up in the UK again. I'm actually going to meet friends later. However, I have heard that things on your end are not looking so great. Yeah, so we have entered again into a national uh, lockdown uh, starting from the 1st of June because our COVID cases have been Mm -hmm. going back up. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I've been doing in this lockdown is cook, right? Lovely. But, you know, I'm pretty basic. So, you know, I'll mostly make like pastas or steaks Mm -hmm. and uh, what I call Spanish-inspired rice because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't like call it paella because, you know, one, I don't really use like traditional ingredients like saffron or rabbit or even like arboreal rice. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want to get cancelled by people like your partner or any current <laughs> or future Spanish listeners. <laughs> so yeah, this week I made sausage and mushroom pasta and, you know, all things considered, it was pretty good. I totally understand that fear. I actually made the mistake of posting my version of paella on Instagram once. <laughs> oh, no. and, oh my goodness, the backlash was real. And we shall never talk about that again. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Amy? Like, what have you been reading or doing? So this week, I accidentally read a horror novel. <laughs> which oh, wow. I know, Yeah, which I know <laughs> is one of your favorite genres, but not, not mine at all. So um, this was Sayaka Murata's Earthlings. Um, Mm -hmm. It's an interesting commentary on Japanese society and how it persecutes people who don't quite fit in. Um, Mm -hmm. If you've seen the cover of this book, it has like a cute little um, stuffed hedgehog on it and you will not... (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really adorable. It looks like a children. Yeah, book. no, I have I have seen a lot of this the the cover on Bookstagram, right? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. But you're saying that the cover doesn't represent what's in the the book, right? Yeah, not at all because it looks like it looks so adorable. <laughs> and then as you as you read it, it quickly descends into like straight out gore. Wow, and, that's and... a real like bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but surprisingly, I loved it. So it, it actually oh. might be a strong contender for my favorite read this year. But, you know, it's only uh-huh. June and we still have six months and many, many, many more books to go. Well, maybe we'll make a horror fan out of you yet, Amy, yeah? <laughs> you never say never. Yeah, this is going to be a rather fun episode because we've done enough cancelling in the last month. <laughs> yeah. So um, about a week ago, one of my male friends, he confessed to me that he was reading Jojo Moyes and uh, would never be caught reading that in public. So I really Mm. wanted to understand what the aversion was to this genre. So I challenged Josh to read a romance novel. So yeah, yeah, I gave you a short list of cheesy but fun books to choose from. So before we dive into the meat of the episode, do you want to tell us what you picked and whether you enjoyed it? See, like when you say tell us what you pick you're saying it like i had any choice in the matter <laughs> <laughs> this was not a democratic uh, decision <laughs> uh, so you asked me to choose between me before you the rosie mm-hmm. project and the kiss quotient right mm-hmm. and i decided to go with helen huang's the kiss quotient aka your 250 page daniel Henney <laughs> fantasy um, the reason why i chose it was because i remember that both you and our mutual friend miza uh, mm-hmm. both really liked the book Although I was really careful to avoid reading your review before diving in so I could, you know, start on a clean slate. 
Here I am thinking that you read my reviews like the first day they come out. I'm so naive. No, I okay. I did. I did read your review, <laughs> and that's how I knew that you liked it. I just couldn't remember what mm-hmm. you said, so you know, I didn't want. I wanted to go in with a clean slate, right? And so, uh, the Kiss Cushion is a uh, romance novel about Stella, who is a highly successful, super intelligent woman with Asperger's. And Michael, who's this high-end male escort with a heart of gold and a troubled family background, who Stella hires to teach about the intricacies of sex and relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Michael looks a lot like Daniel Henney, except apparently he's better looking. It's <laughs> <So laughs> hard, hard to top that, you know? <laughs> yeah, which, you know... Okay, so putting my uh, suspension of uh, belief aside, um, <laughs> before we get into my experience reading the book, right, Amy, we have to address the elephant in the room, okay? Mm-hmm. So pretty early on in the book, there's this scene, Stella and Michael, they're watching Ip Man, which, uh, if our listeners don't know, is this autobiographical wuxia film that stars Donnie Yen mm-hmm. as the grandmaster mm-hmm. of Wing Chun martial arts and... He's also Bruce Lee's master, right? And, you know, if you haven't seen it, you really should see it. And Stella, she goes, Donnie Yen, in her mind, was better than Jackie Chan, Chow <laughs> Yun-Fat, and Jet Li put together. Now, okay, hang on, Stella, right? This is clearly blasphemy, okay? And <laughs> in any other situation, Amy, uh, I would have just stopped reading the book at that point. <laughs> But, you know, I was like, okay, Amy challenged me to read this. I'll continue reading it. Uh, but I told you at that time, I'll mm-hmm. only continue if you would share with our listeners your ranking of these four action superstars. I'm sure our listeners are all dying to know. And Amy, before you answer, please bear in mind, there is a correct answer and there are many, many wrong ones. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to be cancelled here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I would say number four, it's really easy. I'm going to go with Jackie Chan because I'm just mm-hmm. not a fan of his like humor. And he's also kind of infamous for being a prick in real life. So you're going to mm-hmm. judge me as well as we move into number three. But I've never seen any of the Ip Man films. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but Donnie Yen is so fit and he's going to come uh-huh. in at number three for me. And okay. uh, so I'm a big like early 2000s girl. So Jet Li was definitely like unavoidable in that decade in film. And mm-hmm. I was also a big fan of Aliyah back then. Rest in peace. Um, Jet Li's co-star in Romeo Must Die. So Ooh, that yeah. was, yeah, yeah. So it was a really refreshing uh, film to see back then, to see, you know, an Asian man as the sexy lead in a Western romantic action film. So mm-hmm. he's definitely high on this list for me. So that leaves um, Chow Yun-Fat. <laughs> I, just, I just think that he's such a versatile actor. He's been in comedies, dramas, action movies, both like in English and Cantonese. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely, indisputably, Chow Yun-Fat for me. But please don't make me pick between Chow Yun-Fat and like Daniel Henney. Well, I don't have to ask because I already <laughs> know the answer to that. <laughs> but let's come back to the Kiss Quotient. So here's what I enjoyed about it. Uh, Helen Huang, she's really crafted a really really fun read right the mm-hmm. pages really fly by and i found myself actually laughing out loud a number of times when i was reading this you mm-hmm. know i can't remember the last time a book actually made me do this um and you know in the steamy scenes and there are a <laughs> lot of them in the book <laughs> there's a really strong emphasis on consent right and mutual yep. pleasure of both uh, stella and michael which i thought was excellent without being mm-hmm. heavy-handed Although, you know, the two lovebirds themselves are rather heavy-handed, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it is a romance novel. 
Yeah, I wasn't expecting to be that explicit though. So, <laughs> and also one more other thing, I enjoyed the authenticity of Michael's Vietnamese heritage. Helen Huang is clearly drawing from her own personal experience growing up as a child of a Vietnamese immigrant, and I really appreciated that. Um, but you know, I'm really curious to see whether we are on the same page about what we liked about the book. And please, Amy, okay, the answer cannot just be Daniel Henry all <laughs> Daniel Henry all the time. <laughs> So please keep that to a minimum. Please. I'll try my best. <laughs> I mean, um, this is a romance novel, and you're asking me like what I liked about it. You know, uh-huh. like obviously, obviously the Stevie scenes <laughs> with with the main character that like supposedly looks like Daniel Henry. But um, <laughs> I don't read enough romance novels, but this one really made me blush. Um, if I'm mm. honest. But I suppose what uh, really made the Kiss Potion work for me um, as a fairly introverted bookworm and Asian woman, it was so meaningful to read about people who look like me represented in the mainstream genre like romance and not just books like the Joy Luck Club. So Asian men particularly, they're often portrayed in pop culture as being nerdy or sexually unattractive. Well, those days are over. Well, hallelujah and thank God for that, right? Okay, okay. It's, it's not all love from me, right? And I have two pretty big gripes with the book. The first is the use of the angry, righteous male savior trope, right? Mm-hmm. And the number of times that Michael is like on the verge of physical violence mm-hmm. when Stella mentions being mistreated by other men, it just felt like anger issues being disguised as protective concern. And uh, yeah. I've seen that enough times to know that the person can, you know, mean well, but those feelings can be dangerous for both partners in the relationship. And secondly, is how Stella's Asperger seems to be used as a plot point. Um, you know, both Stella and Michael's characters are pretty thinly written. And I wish the exploration of Stella and Asperger's and how it affects her daily social and family life maybe could have been a bit more nuanced, especially given mm-hmm. that Helen Huang herself is on the autism spectrum. Yeah, I would agree with you on the angry, righteous male savior trope, though, that really like made my eyes roll. Like, we get it, you're mm-hmm. protective. But I also wanted to see Stella stand up for herself more. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would have to disagree. I didn't really take issue with um, Stella's Asperger's in the story. I understood mm-hmm. that Helen Huang herself, uh, she has high functioning autism. And when mm-hmm. she wrote Stella's character um, and her diagnosis, um, she wrote it with a lot of intention. Um, I think that really comes across for me. Um, the author, like, she also talks openly about how people like herself and her character Stella, they try to camouflage their behaviors. And I thought mm. she spotlighted Stella's journey to self-acceptance pretty well. And perhaps writing this book was also a journey um, of self-expectance for herself. Yeah, so when we first set out to do this episode, I thought, hmm, you know, I'm not much of a romance reader. And that is because I was only thinking about like, you know, the bodice ripping with Fabio <laughs> on the cover of the books kind of romance. And I thought, you know, those are the kind of books that would classify as romance, you know, something like The Kiss Quotient. But in mm-hmm. actuality, if we think about the books that have a romantic plot front and center, many of my favorite reads are in fact romances. And I know many of yours are as well. Yeah, when we were first having this discussion, right, about uh, what our favorite reads were and whether they would be romances, like I confidently told you, mm. my top three favorite novels ever are all romances. The Remains of the Day, Love in a Time of Cholera, and Norwegian Wood. Mm-hmm. But then you, Amy, shattered <laughs> all my illusions by telling me that technically speaking, uh, only one of those books actually qualifies as a romance novel. Yeah. And you know what? You're absolutely right, Amy. <laughs> my life has been a lie. It's been a gosh darn lie. You know, the romance writers of America, they list two criteria for a novel to be classified as a romance. 
So first, mm. it must have a central love story, and second, it has to possess an emotionally satisfying and optimistic ending. So it's all about the big H E A, right? The happily ever after. <laughs> While my three favorite novels all have a central love story. Only one has anything remotely close to an emotionally satisfying and optimistic ending. So、mm. I won't mention which it is to avoid spoilers for anyone who hasn't read those books yet. Yeah, but who is to say that an emotionally satisfying ending always has to be optimistic with a happily ever after? And when I think about emotionally satisfying reads, I always go back to Ian McEwan's、uh, Atonement or Richard Yates'、uh, Revolutionary Road. And in recent years, you know, Sally Rooney's Normal People and Tayari Jones' An American Marriage can certainly fall into get. That category as well, but again, they are not what people would automatically think of as romance novels. But you know, why do you think that is so? Is it because that they don't have happy endings, or is it because of the way they're marketed? Well, you know, unless you want to pick a fight with the romance writers of America, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> It's it's absolutely because those books don't have happy endings.、Um, and honestly, when I first found out about the criteria, I strongly disagreed with it. Right? Because、mm. I mean, romances in real life more often than not don't end in an emotionally satisfying or optimistic way. Right? Yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. So you know, it's why I think when I read the saccharine sweetness that is the kiss quotient,、mm. there was a part of me that yearned for the more you know gritty, down to earth kind of romance like in Norwegian Wood. But you know what changed my perspective?、Mm-hmm. It's when I realized that romance novels are like fantasy novels, and you know, while some part of them can correlate with our everyday lives, their main purpose isn't to provide you with that grim, dour, down in the mud realism, right? So I'm looking at you, Game of Thrones.、Uh, <laughs> both deal in make believe in the magical. So for fantasy, you know, that's dragons and dwarves and mountains of treasure, and for romance, it's the happily ever after. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I can understand if you're a fan of romances, you might feel shortchanged if you read something that is marketed as romance, but doesn't have the HEA, the happily ever after, right?、Mm-hmm. But the flip side to that is that romances, if you are not feeling charitable, you might describe it as formulaic or predictable or worse, not real literature. And I believe that this is something that has affected both authors and readers of romances. That、mm-hmm. while it is clearly a wildly popular genre, there is still this stigma that's attached to it to the point where, you know, maybe some authors might not even want to have their books marketed as romance, even when they clearly are. Yeah, certainly. So I read this fascinating scientific article published in Publishing Research Quarterly、uh, last year, and this is about the romance industry and its reputation, which we will link in our show notes below. So it、mm-hmm. says that despite being a billion-dollar industry, the genre is still seen as lowbrow, and many people, like the good friend that I mentioned earlier, still feel the need to hide the fact that they enjoy reading romance. So the research article it highlights the many reasons for why this is the case, and it concludes、mm-hmm. that because Romance is seen as a women-dominated genre. Most of the authors and readers are women. It is therefore、mm. seen as the enemy of the patriarchy. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and readers <laughs> and academic communities alike, they have the perception that the genre is seen as less because it values and supports women. So this、mm-hmm. reminds me very, very much of the One Direction or specifically Harry Styles phenomenon. I'm a little、uh-huh. bit too old to be familiar <laughs> with One Direction, and please don't make me rank '90s boy bands because otherwise we'll be here all day. 
<laughs> okay, okay, I won't, I won't. <laughs> um, but I read an interesting interview with Harry Styles, where a Rolling Stones journalist asked Harry why, unlike his bandmates, he hasn't tried to distance himself from his boy band roots by appealing to an older crowd. And Styles responded. Who's to say that young girls who like pop music have worse musical taste than a 30 year old hipster guy? And he pointed mm. out that the Beatles owed their success to teenage girls, and it doesn't make them any less serious as musicians. Okay, so, hang on, Amy. So, so you are not a One Direction fan, but you are reading a Harry Styles Rolling Stones interview. <laughs> <laughs> It's a commentary on feminism. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> I can't even name one of their songs, honestly. So apparently, this aversion to things that are well liked by women it has a term. So this is called gender contamination. So the、mm. things that we perceive as feminine are often looked down upon. So this may sound utterly ridiculous to a pair of feminists like us, but apparently, a Harvard Business School study found that men didn't drink Diet Coke because women liked it. And they had to rebrand the Diet Coke as Coke Zero with a supposedly manlier black packaging, but they're essentially、oh. the same thing. You know, you're right. No, I never thought about it that way.、Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess the same thinking went behind the branding for Pepsi Black as well, right? Like, you know, I, I read this really eye-opening interview that Diana Galvin, who's the author of Outlander,、um, and that she gave to Voucher, right? And she、mm-hmm. mentions that when Outlander was coming out. Her agent said that the publisher wanted to sell the hardcover as fiction, but the paperback would be marketed as romance. And you know she had two objections to that. So in her own words, right, she said, "If you call it a romance, it will never be reviewed by the New York Times or any other respectable literary venue, and that's okay. I can live with that. But more importantly, you will cut off the entire male half of my readership. And you know, I guess that ties in with what you were saying about Harry Styles and Coke Zero, right?" If you market something as a straight-up romance, it's、uh, highly likely you're going to have fragile、mm-hmm. cis men thinking they will have as much use for those books as、uh, they would have for a tampon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not just cis men, isn't it? We know that、mm. even some women would be put off by books that appear, you know, how should I say, overtly feminine. But if、mm. you pull a Coke Zero on them, rebranding them as contemporary fiction. They would suddenly appear to be more palatable. If you think about it, all of Kazuo Ishiguro's novels are deeply emotional and wonderfully romantic, but they、yeah. have been described as drama, historical fiction, science fiction, and even genre fiction. Whatever that means, it sounds completely made up. Anything but romance. So, yeah, exactly.、Mm-hmm. And could it be that because of the distance from the romance genre, is that why Ishiguro can be a Nobel Prize winner? Yeah, no, I think you've made a really great point.、Um, This whole conversation around romance novels has really got me questioning my reaction when you asked me to read *Kiss Quotient*, <laughs> and、mm-hmm. my initial reluctance to do so. You know,、um, as a feminist, I don't think I'll have any problems liking a genre that is dominated by women authors and readers, but maybe subconsciously, I've bought into the cultural narrative that. You know the romance not genre is a、um, lesser genre in the field of fiction.、Mm-hmm. Now, this has really made me reevaluate how I look at authors and how they are marketed. So, you know, romance is such a key element for an author such as you know Gabriel Garcia Marquez. In, not just in you know the book I've mentioned, Love in a Time of Cholera, but also in books like Of Love and Other Demons, The Autumn of the Patriarch, and Memories of My Melancholy Horse. And is he a romance writer or is he a writer of great romances? And Why is that distinction important? You know, is it because one is more palatable, more marketable than the other?、Mm-hmm. See, I think I might be verging on hyperbole with this, 
but it does feel like the only way to be a writer of romance with any degree of respectability in literary circles, and that is literary with a capital L, is to either be male or dead, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so after saying all of this, am I going to be reading more romance novels? Yes. Probably not. Probably <laughs> <What>? not. <laughs> so, this exercise failed. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, Kiss Cushion, it was okay, but it's not really my cup of tea. But we should always be trying new things, right? Mm -hmm. So just bear that in mind that if you're picking up a romance, it all builds up to the happily ever after and you are there for the ride. That's the fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. So whether you enjoy romance novels as prescribed by the Romance Writers of America or you enjoy books with a strong romantic element, Uh, I think we can both agree that we could all use more romance in our lives, right, Amy? Mm -hmm. So maybe now you can tell our readers, since you have read quite a bit more romance than me, what have you learned (laughs) about romance? You mean like a whole whole one other book more than you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned about uh, love or romance from reading these novels? I think they're they're fantastic as a you know like a fantasy or something of um, entertainment value or even to you know learn to have a little bit more empathy. But it should definitely not be used as a dating manual. I would say that. <laughs> okay, um, maybe if uh, we have listeners out there who are like me, who are maybe not so exposed to the romance genre, um, do you have any uh, red rags for them to spice up their lives? Yeah, if you're looking for some spice, the kiss quotient is the way to go. But if you're looking for something less saccharine and perhaps less female gazy, although there's nothing wrong with that, I would yeah. recommend uh, The Rosie Project by Graeme Simpson. Um, he's a rare male romance novelist that isn't Nicholas Sparks. So mm-hmm. um, this book is told from the perspective of a male lead, um, genetics professor Don Tillman, who sets out to find the perfect partner. He has a list of qualities that the perfect woman must possess, like punctuality. Non-smoker <laughs> has a good career. Punctuality <laughs> was like number one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but of like course, he, like he all couldn't date like a Malaysian woman, right? <laughs> Since we had this, we are notorious for being uh, really ba- bad with a punctuality, right? Yeah, like when you say on the way, you're actually still at home. <laughs> you're still in bed. <laughs> you just woke up. Sorry, Professor Tillman. Yeah, but of course, like all romance novels, you know, there's a conflict because perfection does not exist. And of course, he falls in love with a woman who takes none of these boxes. As we will be releasing this episode in June, which is Pride Month, I would highly recommend Andre Asiman's Call Me By Your Name, which mm-hmm. does not have a happy ending, unfortunately, but is emotionally very, very satisfying. It mm. is a coming-of-age novel that explores um, bisexuality through a relationship between Elio, a boy on the cusp of adulthood, um, and his father's doctoral student, Oliver. So Oliver has been invited to Elio's parents' holiday home in Italy for the summer. So it's just a wonderfully erotic and atmospheric novel, and I highly recommend it. Okay, so... I'm going to recommend two graphic novels that center around mm. romance. Surprise, um, surprise. One that, I have, yeah. <laughs> so one that I have read and one that I want to pick up. So mm-hmm. uh, the one that I have read is Craig Thompson's Blankets. Uh, it's an autobiography and Thompson's, he shares his experience of growing up in a Christian conservative household and meeting his first love, uh, Raina. So it mm. also grapples with themes of sexual assault and harassment. So please be aware if you are looking to pick that up that you know, those uh, themes are, are there. 
but it really struck a deep chord in me, right? Because I could relate to a lot of the struggles that Thompson undergoes in the book. I haven't arrived at the same place as he has, but you know, its raw, complex nature really moved me very deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because this is Pride Month, the book that I want to pick up is called The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jan Wang. And this is a fairy tale about a prince named Sebastian who dresses up as Lady Cristalia at night and his relationship with the seamstress Frances. So mm. it's described as Cinderella with a gender queer twist and I absolutely cannot wait to read it. Oh, I really want to read that now. <laughs> So if you like this episode, do subscribe to When All Is Read and Done on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to support us, please rate, review, or share this episode with a friend or a loved one. This would really help our little podcast grow and reach new listeners. We would love to hear your feedback and comments on this episode or any topics that you would like for us to cover in future ones. You can reach us either on Instagram at redanddone or via email at redanddonepod at gmail.com. Amy, this was a really, really fun episode. <laughs> so what are yeah. you going to challenge me to read now as, as payback? <laughs> I'm going to have to think about it. Probably <laughs> yeah. like horror or like something very gory. <laughs> that well, you've already read that. So, you know, I'm going to have to think about it and maybe, you know, find something a little bit interesting for you to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but until next time, bye everybody. Bye.